please have that passage open in front of you. And our text is verses 37 through 40. And uh, really it is a, a lovely thing to be able to rejoice with Ralph and Rebecca and the gift of Benjamin. And uh, we're so thankful to the Lord for him and pray that the Lord will bless them richly as a family as we have done. And uh, we know that he's a wonderful blessing to his mum and dad and family and certainly to the church here. And uh, we know that Benji and Asher have the privilege of being born into a family where mum and dad love the Lord Jesus. And uh, they will bring them up to know the ways of the Lord and the gospel. And also they are, as a family, part of a, a wider family of believers who, as you've seen this morning, will love them and pray for them and seek their good. Now, the thing is that with all those things in place, there may be some who would say, well, that means that Benji's a Christian. You know, that surely is, you know, all those things in place and that's there. And, you know, being brought up by Christians and being brought along to church. And, you know, for many, they think, well, well, that's it. He's a Christian now. But the reality is, my dear friends, that that is not the case yet. We pray that it will be. But being a Christian is not about environment or circumstances or heritage in that regard. It is about a work of God in a person's life. And that is what is necessary for each one of us. And that is what we need to see this morning. You know, all those privileges that the Lord has given to Benji do not make him a Christian, but he will need, and we pray that he will in the future, to trust Jesus for himself. Now, we do pray for that. We pray that one day he will love and follow the Lord. And many of us have been praying for him and for Asher in that way from before they were even born. But we need to understand what a real Christian is. And that's why we need to look at our text this morning here in Acts 2. Now, just to set the scene before the resurrection and for a while after, the disciples seem the most unlikely to turn the world upside down with the gospel and to be pioneers of the New Testament church. And yet we see there's a great change that takes place in them. And that is uh, with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them to enable them and empower them to do that task. And it wasn't just that they summoned up some courage from within or religious devotion or all the rest. You know, the church of Jesus Christ is not just a, another religious option which offers the ideas of men. No, the church is the collective body of those who have been radically changed by someone beyond themselves. And there's only one explanation as to why these disciples were transformed and then why we see this great change in people's lives and the establishment of the true church and why the church has endured and continues to thrive and grow across the nations and the answer is found here. Now, when I say the church, I'm speaking of the true church of Christ, those who have been made new and trust in the Lord Jesus. Now, the church is the consequence of the gospel of Christ being proclaimed in the power of the Spirit. And this message gripping and transforming individuals so that the whole direction of their lives is changed. Something totally radical. Those that have been saved and born again, they've heard this glorious message that God is holy, that we are not that we are sinners at enmity with God and that we can do nothing to save ourselves. But that Jesus is God come in the flesh 
and that he died to pay the price for our sin, that he was resurrected and now he is exalted in heaven and that he calls us to turn from our sin, to repent of our sin and to trust him so that we might be forgiven and washed and cleansed and clothed in his righteousness and made right with God both now and forever. And those in Christ are brought to be part of the church and you know, there are, there are local churches where ex- expressions of that, that wider universal church, a spiritual family, united to Christ, united together in Christ. And so true Christianity is about the power of God to change people and to set them on a path from eternal tragedy to eternal glory. And so the question is, how does it happen? What does it look like? How do these things take place? How does a person become a true believer? And, you know, there's no more important question than that. And both this morning and this evening, we are focusing on that so that we can be clear. You know, people come up with all manner of answers to that question about what a Christian is, but the Bible is clear. You know, there aren't many different possibilities. You know, there is one reality. And in our passage, we see that there is a time when a person is not a believer, and then they are. An intervention takes place in their lives. You know, 3,000 people were added to the church on this day as Peter preaches the gospel. Something remarkable happens to them as they hear this amazing news about Jesus. They're taken from one position, and they are moved to another. You know, they were not part of the church, and then they were. And they knew it. And you know, even as you're sat here this morning, you will know whether you're in Christ or not. You know, if you were to ask people what it is to be a Christian, no doubt, you know, we could predict what some of the answers would be. You know, some would say, well, you know, spirituality, some vague belief in God, you know, maybe living a good life and doing your best. Some think it's all about following a, a set of moral principles and guidance, you know, maybe even just being nice. Some might say, as you know, as we've argued against this morning, well, you're born into it. You know, there may be those who say, well, you know, if you go to church or, or read your Bible. But, you know, all of those things, that's not what the Bible emphasizes. It's not what the Word of God truly says. You know, what it is to be a Christian, how it was that you had these 3,000 people who passed from one position to another. Something decisive, something distinct, Something affected their hearts and their thinking and their worldview and their priorities, and it all centers on Jesus Christ. And true Christianity is all about knowing Christ in a real saving way. You know, it's about his person, his life, his work, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and these people were totally changed in respect to Jesus Christ. So, how does it happen? You know, was it just that, you know, Peter was particularly persuasive? You know, the sermon, of course, is rich in the truth. It's full of these great arguments concerning who Jesus was and and what he came to do. And yes, his, his sermon was pointed and clear. But, you know, many have read it and not been changed. The sermon alone doesn't explain the transformation of these people, even though it was the means by which they heard and believed. Now, what we need to understand is that there is this precious and powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people on the preached word, applying it to them. 
making it real to them. Look at verse 37. They were cut to the heart. You know, the Holy Spirit enabled Peter to preach in that power. And as he proclaimed the truth, the Spirit of God worked upon the hearers. And their ears were opened. They were given eyes to see. The message cut them to the heart. It, it convicted them. It disturbed them so that they cried out. You know, the Holy Spirit at work. And you know, without his work, there would be no church. There would be no believers. He is vital in applying this wonderful salvation to sinners and giving them life and drawing them into the body. And it's all of grace. And this, this great change brought by the Holy Spirit through the Word is something that happens to the individual. God taking hold of them. You know, you don't just decide to give Christianity a go. I've said it so many times before. You know, you, you pick it up and then you drop it down. No, you know, the gospel grips you, takes hold of you. You know, it's a, a supernatural work in your soul. It's a, a transformation you can't do yourself. And these people are changed as the Holy Spirit brings the word as preached by frail, weak Peter and is applied to them. He brings Christ to them. Think of 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, brethren, this is Paul speaking. When I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. You know, that's quite a statement. You know, if you were to think about Paul, you know, he was an outstanding man. He was one of the, the great minds of his time. He could have easily, you know, wowed them with his great skill and his excellence, but he didn't do that. Why? Well, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching weren't with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the, in the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's a wonderful thing. The power of God. Something greater is at work than just man's wisdom and persuasion. It is God dealing with the individual. God dealing with us and, and moving us in the person of the Holy Spirit, intervening in the lives of dead sinners. It's a thrilling thing to see. It's remarkable when you start to see it in a person's life and when they begin to you know, be awakened and the Lord is at work. The unction and power that he brings, attending the word, making the dead live in Christ. And that's what happens here at Pentecost to save these people. It's what happens to every true believer. The work of God in a person's life to bring them to a saving relationship with Jesus. To know the truth. To believe the truth. To be transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how does he work? That's what we need to ask. How does he work? Now, again, in this day, there are many who wrongly speak of the Holy Spirit only as a power. You know, I, I keep emphasizing that. He is a person, the third divine person of the Trinity, and he engages and works to apply the saving work of Christ to sinners. And there are those who say, and again, it's quite commonplace today, well, you know, to know this, this power of the Spirit you know, we've got to empty our minds and we've got to, to stop thinking. We've got to disengage our minds and we've just got to feel. It's not what the Bible teaches. 
Instead, the Holy Spirit works in a person and makes them alive, brings them to believe the truth of the gospel and to look to Jesus, to believe certain truths about the Lord Jesus Christ, to engage in those things. And I want you to see that in our text. Look at verse 37. You see, when the Holy Spirit works, he brings a person to think differently, to think in a way that they've not thought before. You know, verse 37, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Peter applies the word and, you know, he directs the truth and the Spirit of God applies it to their hearts and they are cut by it. They are convicted. They cry out, what shall we do? Now, why did they say that? It's because the truth had come to them like never before and they'd been made to think. You know, it's amazing when you just dwell upon that for a moment. It is likely that many of the 3,000, you know, have been part of another crowd only a few weeks earlier. I don't know if you thought about that. You know, that they would have cried out on another occasion, only it would have been crucifying. And stirred up by the religious authorities who hated Jesus, that crowd was at fever pitch as they demanded for Jesus to die. But now there's a great change. And the Holy Spirit stops them and confronts them and brings them to think properly about the gospel. To think about the Lord Jesus in a way that they'd not before. And, and those who'd rejected him and dismissed him and set themselves against him, now consider him. You see, light was breaking into their darkness. You know, the darkness of their minds and hearts. And that's what the gospel does. It delivers us from this, this present evil word. And we're, you know, we're, we're caused by the grace of God to, to think. And the grip of sin, the grip of the world upon us is broken. You know, the, the enemy's blinding influence is taken away. And we begin to see things differently. Biblically and spiritually. You know, men and women go through life and they are trying to avoid thinking for many. You know, when they do think, it's too painful. You know, life is hard, and so they try to escape by, by trying not to think about reality too much, and so do everything they can to avoid it and to fill their lives with all manner of things. The crowd doesn't think. Often you find that, you know, crowds just get pulled along by agendas, agendas of the evil one who manipulates and controls. You know, I find it staggering. I find it staggering today the things that people are willingly, you know, there to embrace, blindly embrace in the world that goes totally against what should be common sense even. And increasingly the most dreadful things are embraced and promoted. And yet you mention the gospel. You mention Jesus. You mention the Bible. And you see the rage. You see the opposition. They don't want to think about those things. They won't have them. They, they won't have him. But you see, when the Holy Spirit works, he takes the truth, he applies it so that people think and engage with the truth like never before. Happens in our text. And it happens when someone is brought to salvation in Christ. And not only does the Holy Spirit cause a person to think, but to think specifically about the Lord Jesus. You know, true Christianity doesn't actually start with you. I don't know if you've understood that. Many think it does. You know, how can I be successful? How can I be happy? How can I be a better me? 
You know, maybe if I add Jesus in, you know, life will feel better. True biblical Christianity isn't that. When the Holy Spirit works, he brings a person to think, to look beyond themselves to Jesus Christ. Again, look at verse 37. When they heard this, what's the this? It's the truth about Jesus. They're taken beyond themselves to focus on him. And the true gospel always brings us to see Christ, the only Savior of sinners. You know, the reality of who he is, that he is central, that he is alive, that he is glorious. And the Holy Spirit always works to exalt Jesus, to magnify Christ, the perfection and beauty of his person, the completion of his saving work on the cross, and his triumphant resurrection. To see these things. And when these people, when they heard it, it cut them and they cried out. And so the Holy Spirit brings a person to think, to think on Christ and to think on how they need Christ. He brings them to see that they need a Savior. You know, you can know all the facts about the Christian message. You can know even theology, maybe some of you do. You can read the Bible in a sort of intellectual way. You can listen to preaching and make your judgments. You can do all of that and still be dead. You can still be unsaved because you don't know Jesus Christ for yourself. But when the Holy Spirit works, the personal work of the Lord Jesus becomes so real, so relevant to us that we see that we're sinners and that we need him and that he is the only one we need. You know, these people, they wanted rid of him. They wanted nothing to do with him. They shouted for him to go to the cross and thought nothing more of it. But here, as the gospel is preached, and as the Holy Spirit applies it to them, they realize that this Jesus, whom they had previously rejected, is in fact the one that they desperately need to save them. You know, the one upon which their whole life and eternity depends. They were brought to understand that Jesus was made both Lord and Christ, and they saw that by rejecting Jesus, they'd been showing just how in rebellion against God they were and that they were sinners. Now, here we are this morning, and even though maybe, you know, we did not shout for his death, is it not true that we did not want him? You know, maybe that is still you this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't really want him as Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here and you're just indifferent and you're unconcerned with the Lord Jesus. But even that, don't you see that that is rejection? You know, when the Holy Spirit works, we are faced with him and that he is our only hope in life and death and, and all our efforts, all our works, all our spirituality are filthy rags before God that we are all sinners and we, we fall short and nothing we can do can make us right with God. But, and it's just glorious when it happens, the Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus. He brings us, he who came into the world to save sinners, to save us. The Holy Spirit shows us that Christ is the solution to our sinful, broken, wicked hearts, that he's the only one, the only one we need. You know, one has said, there is no greater sin than not to see any need of Jesus Christ. The greatest sinners in the world today are those who do not think about Christ at all. The most hopeless people in the Gospels 
are the Pharisees, not the publicans and sinners. And that is because they do not see their need of Jesus. And isn't that the tragedy today? You see, to reject Jesus is to reject God because God sent his own son. God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the center of God's eternal plan and purpose. And so to want rid of him, to, to want to be rid of him, to, to want his death upon the cross, you know, this crowd, they're convicted and they're fearful and they cry out, what shall we do? There's no exchange of opinions. There's no sort of debate, only the conviction and the awareness they need the Savior. You know, why had they been so unconcerned before? You know, why had they been ignorant of the fact that God had sent his son? Why had they not realized who Jesus was before? Well, that's because they were blind and dead in their trespasses and sins. But then the Holy Spirit works and awakens them and the great truths arrest them and they begin to question, why have I never seen this before? Why have I been so unconcerned with Jesus? Why have I never seen my need of him? Why is he not everything to me? And when you begin to ask questions like that, you know the Holy Spirit is at work. And he begins to show you the answers. You see, until he works, you know, in your sin, you've been ignorant of God. And many are all around us. They don't think of God. You know, they, they don't think of him as creator, as sustainer of the world. You know, they don't think of God as one to whom they're accountable. You know, they, they see the world only in terms of themselves and making the best of things and, and getting what they can from this existence. And, you know, they think it's random and chance and ultimately without meaning anyway. So, you know, let's just live for the moment. But the Holy Spirit changes that. And until he works, you've never understood yourself. The Bible asks, what is man before a holy God? And when the, the Holy Spirit works, suddenly we realize that all the apparent success and advance and progress of man has a fatal flaw. That we're all fundamentally broken and sinful and the world is broken. And we see that we've been looking in all the, the wrong places for meaning and for satisfaction. And we see that we're actually we're in a desperate state outside of Christ. And until the Holy Spirit works, you know, we, we've been ignorant of death. Many people fear death, but they hate the thought of it. They hate the impact of it when it comes near. But they try to, to push it all away. But when the Holy Spirit works, he brings us to see that we can't escape death. That there is an eternity. That the soul goes on to stand before the presence of the eternal God who made us and holds us accountable. And we, we stand before the holy God of heaven who made all things, for whom we've received all things. And what shall we say? We're going to look at that tonight. You know, we're accountable. What are we going to say? The Bible speaks of this accountability beyond death and then the judgment. And then these two eternal destinies, either to be with God or to be sent and removed from him forever in that sense, to to be welcomed into the glories and pleasures of God for all eternity or to be condemned to a state of endless torment and misery and pain. The Holy Spirit makes us see these things. And until he works, we're, we're spiritually dead. We're blind to these things. We, we've got no interest in the gospel. And that's the state of the world. Even when these things are put in front of us, you know, we just shrug them off. We're not alive to spiritual things. The natural man doesn't receive 
the things of the Spirit of God. The foolishness to him. Maybe that's you this morning. You think all this, what a nonsense. It's foolishness. Until the Holy Spirit works to show you. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. Without God's gracious intervention, we are spiritually dead. And you know, we need that intervention. And the Spirit of God works and confronts us with our state outside of Jesus. And it cuts, it is, it is painful. All our pride, all our self-sufficiency is stripped away and we can't escape it anymore. And we know we need him. And that's why the cry comes, what must we do to be saved? And the Holy Spirit makes us realize that unless we have Christ, we're in deep trouble. And that draws out the cry, what shall we do? And these people in Jerusalem, they are brought under that conviction. They had rejected the Son. They had been ignorant. They were spiritually dead. They stood condemned before God. And they realized their need. And there was only one thing left for them to do. And that was to cry unto the Lord. And they did this by asking a question to his representatives, to Peter and the others, what shall we do? And when the Holy Spirit makes us realize that we are guilty before God, that we are condemned as it stands, the gospel becomes so relevant to us, so wonderful for us. You know, we realize that we must die and we cannot escape death. We realize that we are going through this life and then where are we going? That death is not the end, that it is unavoidable, but where are we going? Are we not concerned for these things? And the answer is very simple when that cry goes up. Obey the call and the instruction of the gospel. Peter says, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Turn from your sin. Turn from that lossless. Turn from that rejection of God. Turn from all of that trust in self and come to Jesus Christ. Believe in him. You see, that's how a person becomes a Christian. God intervenes by his grace through the mighty work of the Holy Spirit, bringing life to the dead, and he gives those gifts of repentance and faith, and he enables a person to see their sin, to see their state, but then to see Christ and to run to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're troubled in your heart. Maybe you're asking, well, how do I know if he's at work in me? How do I know if I'm a, a real Christian? Well, you cry out to him. And you go to him. And you ask him. And you confess your sin and your foolishness. And confess that you have been trusting yourself and, and rejecting him and rebelling against him. And to repent is to come to God and to confess your sin without any reservation and to cast yourself upon him. And tell him you've only lived for this world, that you've loved other people and things before him and fall before him and say, oh Lord, I don't deserve anything from you. I've got nothing to bring to you. And I need you. And you know, thank him for showing you your condition, your enmity with him, your sin, but then say, oh God, please, please save me. And trust in his provision for you in his son, the Lord Jesus, and he will receive you. And he will cause you to see that he sent his only son into the world for you. Believe on him. Believe that he died for you, that he died for your sin. And by looking to Jesus alone, 
we can know that in his death on the cross, Jesus Christ has dealt with my sin. And God, because of the death of his son, you know, his whole purpose for coming into this world, his work, God assures us that our sin can be dealt with in totality in Christ that it has been punished in him, that Christ has borne away your sin once and forever, and to believe him, to trust him, to bow before him, to give yourself to him, and to submit to him, to turn from your sin, to trust Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who takes these great truths and works them into a person's life and makes them real. You know, to see what it is by faith to trust Christ and to be saved. You know, that's what we pray for little Benji. We pray that the day will come when these precious things will be real to him and that he will love and follow the Lord Jesus. But it's all of grace, that work of God. And so it is for every one of us, even in this place this morning. And here we are in the presence of God, the truth of his word. And we pray the Holy Spirit will be at work. And the question to you is this, will you not heed his call? Will you not cry to the Lord? Will you not see your hopelessness outside of Christ? And will you not trust the Savior? And as the Spirit is at work, so men and women are moved to do that. They're granted the empowering and enabling to do that, to trust Jesus. And when they do, there is rejoicing in heaven over sinners saved. Do you know this gospel is the power of God even today? And you know, it is my prayer for you that the Holy Spirit would be at work, that he would take off those blinkers, that he would give you ears to hear Hearts that are open to receive, minds able to engage, and that your life will be changed by his grace. How do you become a Christian? It's a work of God, and a work of God to bring a person to see that they're a sinner and to believe in Jesus. That's it. But it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a miracle of his grace, and we pray that we might see it in Benji's life. And we pray that we might see it more and more in these desperate days. Amen.